going on. Hey, we're going to step away from our series uh, just for this week. And the reason why, and uh, the series that we're engaged in right now is just so important in the life of our church. Last week, we talked about up, our relationship with God, and, and what a wonderful time it was for us to get into that. Next week, we'll talk about it, and we'll talk about life within the body of Christ and how God has devised that. It's going to be an incredible time that we have. But I wanted that last Sunday before Easter, Palm Sunday, which will be the 14th, I wanted us to save that to really talk about out, about going out. You know, the fact of the matter is they, there will be people that you will invite to church to come with you on Easter that ordinarily uh, maybe would not be motivated to come. But there's just something about special times of the year, like Christmas, when people who ordinarily would just sort of disregard your invitation that they'll come at Christmas, but especially at Easter. People will come at Easter. By the way, I think we've got a couple of these in your bulletin, these Easter invite cards, and uh, they've got the service times. We're going to do three one-hour services that day, 60-minute services, 845 to 945, 10 to 11, 1115 to 1215. On the back of the card, it gives us some of the cool things that are going to be happening. We'll have tons and tons and tons of kids here that day as well, down at the other end of the theater. They've got a very special morning plan. So pick up a handful of these on your way out and use them. Invite people to come to church with you and just know that there are people there's a lot of people actually who would come to church but people are not inviting them and then there's people that they get invited throughout the year but their motivation to come really uh, is heightened around Easter and, and people can come up with reasons I like this one and this is maybe a reason that you used at some point in the past when somebody invited you to come to church and you really didn't want to go to church but you had to give them a reason that at least sounded valid and so I love it when people say something like this, uh, when I invite them to church. Uh, well, I would come. I'd love to come to church, but I don't have church clothes, whatever church clothes are. So if somebody, I, I just want to help you with your invite. If you invite somebody to come with you on Easter and they look at you and say, well, I'd love to come, but I don't have church clothes, just look right back at them and say, that's great. Our pastor doesn't have church clothes either. So he's uh, in jeans every weekend, and so he doesn't have church clothes either, so you're going to feel right at home. But bring people with you. It's going to be a phenomenal day, and we believe that there's going to be scores and scores of people that are going to give their life to Christ. Well, so we pick up this series next week. What does that mean about today? And I want to talk to you about something that I think is so important, and I'm praying that God will really use. I uh, made the decision, hey, let's, let's move that, you know, let's move it closer to Easter, what we're going to do there with the final. But God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to speak? What do you, what do you want me to communicate the people that are going to be there, uh, in this case, right now, today? And I just felt a, a leading in that regard, and I want to walk you through uh, some of that today. And I'm going to read a passage to you uh, about five different verses, all coupled together, a passage. And uh, I'll just tell you ahead of time before I read that there will be a question, all right? There will be a question at the end of me reading this passage to you. The guys are going to put it up on the screen. I want you to look at this with me. Here we go. And you'll see some key words that are highlighted, actually. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, this is a very important word, compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those uh, in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ, uh, Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our 
comfort overflows. Look at the next portion. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. So I mentioned I was going to raise a question at the end, so here, here it is. Would anybody like to guess what we're going to talk about today? All right, comfort. Yeah, absolutely. That wasn't real uh, difficult, was it? And uh, there's this great New Testament uh, scholar who has... Uh, He's made this statement, Scott J. Haifman is his name, and he has written this, if Paul is the apostle of comfort within the New Testament, then 2 Corinthians is the letter of comfort, because that's what many of the New Testament books are actually letters, with verses 3 to 7, which we just read, is actually being the paragraph of comfort. I think that there are so many people that I know in my life and sort of in my sphere of influence and probably people that you know and love as well, who you just sort of see what's going on in their life these days and you would just say something like this. You know what? They could probably stand a little comfort about now. You know, actually right away when I think about that, I, I think about those who have lost loved ones. I think about Teresa. As I was walking into that funeral home uh, Friday afternoon and she is walking out surrounded by friends who had been there so that they could start to plan the service for Sam. I think about the Warren family, a family that is part of our church who lost Marcia, mom in her early, uh, early to mid 40s. Uh, back in December, three months later, uh, her brother uh, in his early 50s passes away. And, and just how difficult that is for their family. I think about people who have not lost loved ones recently, but they have loved ones that are headed that direction unless there's the intervention of some kind of miracle. I think about people who have had jobs run out and they got a family to support and they're just looking and there's not the income stream uh, coming in in the way that it intended. They had to shut the business down or the company, you know, was downsizing. And so the job that they had that had been so dependable and so sustainable for their families no more. And I think about people like that who could use a little comfort. I think about people who have relationships these days that are fragmented. I think about people who have had dreams that have been crushed, family members that are in trouble, people that are struggling with escalating fear and worry and anxiety in their life, people that are struggling with confusion and doubt, people who have problems with habits and hangups and addictions, and people just like this that I know and many people that you know could stand a little comfort. So I, I want to talk about that for the next few moments. I want to just, and I'll just go ahead and declare it right up front. I want to just walk you uh, through the passage, sort of the first half of this talk, so that fundamentally you understand uh, what Paul is, is doing here. But then I want to get real pragmatic, real practical on the other end of this talk and give you something that I, I think would be helpful. Because some of you are thinking, you know what, it's not just people I know, but some of you are thinking it's me. I'm at a place in my life. Some of you are thinking this way. I'm at a place in my life where I could use a little comfort. I'm walking through a situation. Some of you feel this way. There's something going on right now in my family. I could use some comfort. There's some things going on, you know, with my kids right now or my aging parents. There's some health abnormalities that the doctors don't even know quite what's going on right now. And, and they're going to keep checking. But, you know, I could use a little comfort or you're just walking through a challenge where you work. And like a lady said uh, to me yesterday when I was uh, doing a wedding over in the Tampa area and she, she looked at me and she said, I just, I, I really, you know, where I work, I don't, I don't 
have fulfillment. I don't, I don't like my job. And, and maybe that's where you're at. Or maybe it's just something going on in your life. And you're just like, you know what? It, this is painful for me. And it, it's a sense of adversity. And, and I could use a little comfort. And Paul was writing to a group of followers of Jesus in this place called Corinth that could obviously use some, some comfort. And it's interesting what writers have said, that, that Paul is the guy. You already heard what Haifman has said, that, you know, if Paul is the writer of, about comfort in the New Testament, then 2 Corinthians, this letter in this passage we just read, is the paragraph. And, and Paul, by the way, out of all the other New Testament writers, had more to say about comfort than any of the others. And some would ask, well, why would Paul say more about comfort than any of the, uh, of the other New Testament writers? Because Paul was a guy who talked about pain. He was a guy that talked about uh, difficulties and suffering more than any others. So I want you to be sure that you get this, again, on the front edge. A primary theme found here in 2 Corinthians is the comfort that comes from God whenever there's pain or, or suffering or calamity going on in somebody's life in whatever form that it may take. He, Paul, begins with this, 2 Corinthians. You saw it just a moment ago, verse 1. It's not on the screen now. Uh, or chapter 1, verse 3. This is what Paul says. He says, all praise be to God. Think about that. All praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then he makes it more personal, more than just the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says now. He says, God is our merciful Father. God is our merciful Father, and He is the source of all comfort. And anytime I read a passage like this, I can't help but think because my heart goes out to people that, that grew up who had absentee fathers or dads who may have been physically present in the home but were emotionally absent and disconnected. And, and I guess maybe I have a heightened sensitivity toward that because, you know, when I was 14 years of age watching my own parents go through a divorce and we moved from the city that we were living in at the time, mom, us, three kids, we moved back to where I'd grown up, back to Atlanta. And so it, it's not that we lost connection with our dad, but now dad's several hundred miles away. And it just saw sort of the adversity, the effect of that upon my younger sister who was 13 and my little brother, Michael, who was uh, seven. And I just watched that, and I think maybe for me, maybe I buried some of it because I was the oldest, and I wanted to pitch in and help mom, and I just needed to uh, maybe assume that role being the oldest, and maybe I'd like to think a little bit more uh, mature for my age and just trying to, you know, be a stabilizing force, you know, in the home. And so I saw the net effect of that, and, and so having been, you know, having a front row seat on that, I determined that when I became a dad, that I was going to be fully engaged in the life of my own kids and, you know, watching Brandon and Drew, you know, grow up. And then 10 years after Drew was born, then comes along Audrey. And Audrey was in the first uh, service on the front row. And I just reminded Audrey that she was, even though she came 10 years after Drew, I just reminded her again that she was not an accident. She was actually planned 10 years later. And, and just, you know, for a dad, and a lot of you dads, this will make just sort of that connection with, with your daughter. And I just, you know, I just, I wanted to, to, to just be that father that my little girl would, would need. And I'd heard this some years before Audrey was even born. And I just sort of picked it up as a mantra for her and I. And I, I can remember when she was really little, like two, three, four years old, for night after night when I'd go into a room to say her prayers with her, I would, before we'd pray, I'd say something like this to Audrey. I'd say, Audrey, if daddy could line up all the little girls in the whole wide world, 
all the little girls in the whole wide world, and I could only pick one to be my daughter. Do you know who I'd pick? And she would just grin, and her little eyes would twinkle, and she'd say, me, Daddy. You would pick me. And I'd say, you're right, honey. And we'd say our prayers, and she'd go to sleep. And just trying to be so involved in her life. And then she, you know, how many of you, uh, how many of you are dads who have daughters? You just always hope that your daughter is going to be about three and they don't stay three. They get older and they become teenagers. And I can remember when she was about 14 years of age and, uh, you know, the boy thing was sort of new. And she looked at me one day and she, she uh, called this boy's name. And, and I knew the boy because she went to school with him and I knew his name, although I've forgotten his name. And that's partially my responsibility because I had a made-up name for him. I never called him by his real name. And uh, she said to me, would it be okay if whatever his name is, if he would come over to the house and watch football with us? It was a Saturday. Can he come over and watch the game with us? And, and I remember saying two things. Number one, he better not pull against my team, number one. And secondly, as long as you know, and he knows ahead of time, whenever the game is over, you're 14 and he's 16. You're not, you're not going any, you're not going any. When he leaves, he's leaving on his own. He's, you know, you're staying right here. And so that's, that's what I said to her, and, and she, she knew that. And so that was the Saturday. She came home from school uh, that Monday afternoon, and she looked at me because her brothers had been in the house as well. So Brandon Drew are there. I'm there. And she walks in from school, and she looks at me, and she says, Daddy, and she called his name. She said, Daddy, he thinks that y'all, being Brent Drew and me, he thinks y'all don't like him. And I looked at her, and I said, we don't. <laughs> we don't like him. We don't like any boy. We don't like any boy that comes over to the house. And then watching her grow up, and now it's unbelievable that she's going to get married the end of, uh, end of June. And, uh, wow, it just seems like yesterday when we were doing this, if I could line up all the little girls and only pick one, who would I pick? And uh, our search for legitimate comfort, the reason I mention that is because I really believe that our search, our journey for legitimate comfort is in many respects a search for God, our Heavenly Father, who is our refuge and our defense whenever we're in trouble and whenever we're afraid. There's something about, you know, when you think about in your own life, if your dad was around when you were afraid or when something was disturbing to you that, you know, just the security of your dad. And it's even amazing to me, people who never really met their dad or mom, they grow up and they reach a, uh, the years of adulthood and they, there's just some longing in their heart to meet their mom or their dad who maybe they've never met before. And I think God is deposited. In fact, I'm quite sure of it, that God is deposited into every human heart, this longing to really know him. And a lot of times our search for the sense of comfort and security and, and well-being is actually without us even knowing is our search for God. Paul moves on. I want you to look at the next verse that he deals with. This is verse 4, and he says he comforts us, speaking of God, in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. And we'll come back to this when they're troubled we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given to us. And the reality is, and again, we'll deal with this more on the pragmatic side in just a moment, but, but God wants us to take what we have been on the receiving end of, and he wants us to do something meaningful with the comfort that we have received. He wants you and I to share that encouragement and that comfort with other people. See, God's comfort for you is about you, but in actuality, it is about more than just you. Look at verse 5. We'll keep moving. Verse 5, for the more that we suffer for Christ, the more that we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. It's like, and guys, keep that up for just a moment. I want you to see sort of the, the analogy that's playing out here. The more we suffer, the greater our suffering, the more comfort that we're going to receive from God. It's just, you know, if, if our 
if our difficulty or challenges, our trouble, uh, our anxiety is weighing heavy, that God's comfort is going to weigh even heavier. And I thought of a word picture while I was working on this talk, and in my mind, and I know that my mind works uniquely, I, I took extreme contrast. I took like a, a picture of like an NFL offensive line, lineman. You know how big they are. You know, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, 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 You know, guys about my height. And, um, you know, but a lot heavier than me. You know, 320, 340 pounds. And you take somebody, and, and then you take a, a small child, and, and you take them, and if they were on a, and, and put them on a seesaw, and obviously one's going to be so much heavier and the, the, the little one's going to have their legs dangling because the heavier person holds it. And, and God is saying, you know what? There's going to be times when you're going to feel like your trouble and your pressure and your pain is so heavy and so burdensome, but I'm going to move in with such amazing and abundance of comfort that it's absolutely going to tip the scale. And we comfort with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. And uh, I love the verse that says, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And it's like, if you took that same blueprint, it's like I would say, you know, wherever your current struggle or trouble happens to abound, my comfort for you is going to abound even more. The next verse is not on the screen, but I want to re read it to you. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And again, it's like Paul is saying, you know, one of the things that sometimes helps us to endure is knowing that help is on the way knowing that help is on the way, that we can hang in there because we know, hey, we've got this present challenge, and it's real, and it's weighing us down, but we have the hope that help is on the way, that God's comfort is coming our direction. I met a guy a number of years ago, and I didn't know him well. We weren't like close friends. We'd had a lunch or two, and so I, I knew this guy. I call him more of an acquaintance than a friend, and he told me a story, and I have to believe him. Uh, I don't want to think he is being deceptive, but he, he told me about uh, a few years prior to that, that he and a couple of friends were out on a boat and they were fishing offshore and the boat sank and how that he spent an entire night in the ocean clinging overnight to, uh, to a cooler that was just floating in the water. And that's, that's what he did all night long. And I had a couple of thoughts. Uh, I had uh, this thought, number one, I don't ever want that to happen to me. How many, of you, how many of you are with me on that? Could you imagine what that guy, every little bump on his legs, oh, that's it, Jesus, I'm coming home right now. You know, I'm coming home right now. But I think for him, the thing that gave him the endurance is just knowing, although he was in a horrific situation, but just hanging on because believing that at the light of day, that there was a much greater possibility he would be found, and, and obviously he was. Verse 7. This is what Paul says in verse 7. He says, and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you will share in our comfort. So that's, that's the passage. But what I want to do now for the balance of our time, and it won't take me long, is I want to give you four very practical things about comfort that I think is important. In fact, I would encourage you to write them down. You can put them on your tablet, your iPhone. Uh, write them down somewhere if you'd like. But I think four things wrapped around this idea that we find here in 2 Corinthians that I think if you will hang on to it, you may not need it actually right now, but if you will hang, it, hang on to it, I think there may be a time where you'd want to come back 
and just see this. So let me just walk you through it. Four things. Number one, you ready? Wave at me like this. If you're ready, you're ready. Let me look. You're ready. Four things. Number one, here it is. They're real simple, but I want to give it to you. Everybody has problems. Everybody has problems of some kind. And some of you are not like church people yet, and you're like, wow, you know, I didn't expect a preacher to say something like that because I know I've got problems because I'm not a church person, and I'm not a Christian, and so, you know, I don't expect. But now you're out there saying that, hey, let me just put it this way. If you've come today, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a church person or you're not a church person, and if you come today and, and you're like, hey, if I were to become a church person or, or if I were to become a Christian, is that, like, is that like an assurance that I won't have problems anymore? I don't know if anybody would ever try to tell you that, but if anybody ever tries to tell you that, they're just not dealing straight with you. Because we all have problems. In fact, if you've come today, a church person or church, unchurched person, Christian or non-Christian, if you've come today and you've got problems, welcome to our group. This is who we are. This is a place where it's okay to be not okay. Because none of us are fully okay. If you tell me, hey, you know, Jeff, speak for yourself. My life is pretty perfect. Well, come on down here and let me pray for you because you're not telling the truth. And you need some help with that area of your life. Because everybody has problems of some kind. And your problems may be different than mine. And my problems may be different from yours. In fact, it's amazing that whenever I read the Bible, I just see that there are people uh, replete throughout the scriptures who, who face all kinds of challenges. Uh, they face adversity of various varieties. Uh, some people that I read about in the Bible, their struggle was with their health. For other people, it was in their family. For other people, they struggle with depression or financial uh, reversals. For some, it was temptation. For others, it was external attacks. For others, it was inner, internal turmoil. For others, it was spiritual setbacks. But if you're faced with a hardship of any kind, then again, not only welcome to our group, but let me just say again, that is more normal than abnormal. And it doesn't mean if you're walking through a challenge right now that, that you're a bad person or that God is mad at, you, mad at you or that you're being punished for something that you've done at some point in the past. It, it just means that you're normal and it means that you're human. And as long as you're here in this world, you're going to have to deal with some stuff that's not always going to be pleasant. I want you to look at these two verses up on the screen. Look at what the psalmist said. You have allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. You will restore me to even greater honor and comfort me once again. God, you will come. You will allow me to go through some hardship, but God, I'll walk through that and I will hang on and I will trust you because I know that you're going to bring comfort my way. So first of all, everybody has problems of some kind. Are you still with me? Wave at me so I know you're still with me, all right? Number two, here it is. When God comforts us, he is actually teaching us how to comfort other people. See, when God is comforting us, he's not only doing something for us, he's doing something in us that's going to be able to help us to do something to help other people later. See, the pain that you have experienced during your life to this point I want to be clear on this, does not have to be wasted pain. The pain that you've walked through does not have to be wasted pain. Did God's comfort bring you some help and relief from the ache or the affliction that you had going on in your life or in your soul? I hope so. And if so, great. Now you get to choose. You choose whether or not you're going to nurse whatever that pain was for the rest of your life, or are you going to nurture and encourage somebody that is currently walking through what you have already walked through? 
See, there's people that are going to come in your, your realm of, of proximity that you're going to be able to, to help much more than I could. And, I, and some of you are thinking, but you're a pastor, and I'm not. And I'm just saying, no, 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 no. Because of what you have fought through in your life, you're in a much better position to be able to help them because you've fought through something that I've never walked through. There's times when people come and maybe I'm meeting across a lunch table from somebody or a breakfast table or in my office, somebody comes in for an appointment and they share with me the challenge that they've been walking through. And, and uh, you know, without them even knowing it, many times I can't tell you the countless number of times I've just sort of sat there and my eyes have been open and I haven't been praying aloud, but I've been praying, God, give me wisdom. You said, if man lacks wisdom, James said it, let him ask of God who will abundantly pardon and God give me wisdom because this is an area I'm unfamiliar with and I don't really know what to say to this person apart from you helping me to know what to say to them because I've never walked through something like this before. But many of you have. And God's going to bring somebody into your life that is walking through currently what you have faced at some point in the past, and you've just got to determine whether or not you're going to help them with it. Are you going to comfort them with the same comfort that you have received from God? There's times when people, you know, again, across the lunch table or breakfast table or come into my office and they said, hey, I need to talk to you about a challenge I'm going through. I'm like, okay, let her rip. What do you want to talk about? And they'll say, hey, I'm really struggling with worry or fear and anxiety. And in those moments, I just sort of breathe easy because I'm like, okay, now, God, I know that one. And I can reflect back a time in my life when I was a teenager, when I just had fear, this chronic worry going on in my life. It seemed like all the time. It wasn't all the time, but it seemed like it was all the time. And I can say, you know what? I've been there. Now, and this is how God comforted me. And if you allow me to, I'd like to take my experience and share it with you and believing that God's going to use it to comfort you. See, there's so many people that you could help so much more than I could because you yourself have walked through that challenge. So number one, everybody has problems of some kind. Secondly, when God comforts us, he's actually teaching us how to comfort other people. Thirdly, you ready for this? Our problems, when properly handled, will produce endurance. And the key phrase there is when properly handled. Our problems, when properly handled, will produce endurance. All right, I'm going to help you right here. Look at your neighbor real quick. This is legal. This is okay. Look at your neighbor and say, Jeff's about to help you right here. Just look at him. Say it right now. Jeff is about to help you right now because I really think this is going to help some of you. Maybe not all of you, but some of you. Here it is. You ready? It's not profound. It's not deep. It's not complex. But you need to think of your life more in this way. Your life is, is not a sprint. Your life is actually a marathon. But we live our life as though our life is a sprint only. See, God created you for an ultra marathon, not just a marathon, an ultra marathon, not a 100-meter race. I can remember years ago, um, my oldest son, Brent, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I hope you won't judge me too harshly, but I'm a very competitive person. Those of you that have ever, ever been around me very long, you know I'm very competitive as a result of being a very competitive person. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I've raised two very competitive boys, sons. And I can remember a n number of years ago, Brent and I, we, we drove over uh, to Lake Hollingsworth, and we decided that we were going to race Lake Hollingsworth. He's going to go one direction. I'm, we're going to race. And, and, you know, I had a realistic view of how this would play out. And this is how I, I told myself this was going to go. I said, obviously, Brent has youthfulness 
on his side because we're going to race. Who's going to win this race around Lake Hollingsworth, three point whatever miles, three one, three two, whatever it is. We're going to race around Lake Hollingsworth. And here's what I, I realized. Brent has youthfulness on his side, but because I'd ran it many times before, I had experience on my side. Plus the fact it didn't hurt that I had a taxi waiting at mile two to get me to mile three. That was going to help me to be assured of winning the race. That's, that's not true, but I, uh, that would have been nice. And, and so we took off running. Oh, man. Him, every competitive juice straining through his body. Me, we're, we are not going to be denied. I'm going to win. I'm determined I'm going to win. I'm confident I'm going to win. Brent is confident. He is determined he's going to win. And I won. I won. You don't seem that impressed. <laughs> Maybe I need to tell you the rest of the story. He's doing a lot of weightlifting in those days, and apparently it had a pretty aggressive leg workout the few days prior to. And some of you runners have experienced this before. His hamstrings seized up, I mean cramped up, to the point that he could not run. I often don't pray that my kids have that kind of pain. <laughs> but on that day, it were to my advantage. I just wanted to walk the rest. We are the champions. My, that's, that's, I just wanted to sing it out because I'd won the race. But life is not a 100-meter race. It's an ultra marathon. And at various mile markers, you will face challenges. You will. And adversity and hardship and pain. But you don't quit. You don't quit. That's not an option. And your motiv motivation ought to be the promise of God's comfort that is on the way. You just hang in there. See, although what you're going through right now is not pleasant, it's not easy, some of you, helps on the way. God's comfort is on the way. Just knowing, just knowing that God's help is on the way ought to encourage you to just endure. Look at these uh, couple of verses right here. This is Jeremiah 31, 13. The young women will dance for joy and the men, old and young, will join in the celebration. And God says, I will turn their mourning into joy, and I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. Fourthly and lastly, wave at me one more time if you're with me. Wave at me. God possesses an abundance of comfort. Some of you really need to realize that today, that God possesses an abundance of comfort. Please hear me when I tell you this. God's plan comfort for you is not in short supply, nor when he shows up with his comfort does he show up with small doses of it. Let me say that again. God's comfort, God's plan comfort for you, what you're going through, what you're faced with, what your challenge is right now, wherever it is in your health, in your family, in your finances, at work, whatever's going on in your life or in your marriage or whatever's happening in your life right now that is a challenge to you, God's plan of comfort for you is not in short supplies, sh short supply. And when he shows up with it, it's not going to be with small doses, small doses. I'll mention this before we wrap up. It's funny reflecting on Grandma Sellers. She passed away. That's obviously my... Uh, my paternal grandmother passed away several years before my maternal grandmother, who we call Mamma, the Maddox side of my family. Grandma Sellers passed away a number of years ago, and I actually told this story at my grandmother's service. And, uh, and all the cousins, we all got it because we had had this experience time and time and time again. Anytime we'd be over at grandmas and, and granddaddies, that's why we called them grandma and granddaddy, 
uh, anytime we'd be over there, we kids, cousins, we could be out in the yard playing in the middle of summer. Some of you may have heard me tell a variation of this story before, how that we'd be out in grandma's yard, granddaddy's yard, and we'd be playing in the middle of summer, be sweating like crazy and be so hot and so thirsty. And when we would go up, I can remember what the house looks like, walk up under the carport, just sort of knock on the door, open the door. We wouldn't go in because we were so sweaty and so dirty. And we'd say, Grandma, 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 we are so thirsty. And she'd say, okay. And I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming. And Grandma, over the kitchen sink, she had this little container that held these little cups. I kid you not. Can you see my fingers here? These little cups were about this big, like little Dixie cups. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And we'd be like pouring sweat. We'd be so hot. We were on the verge. It felt like of dehydration. Grandma, Grandma, we're so hot. We're so thirsty. Can we get something to drink? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm coming. I'm coming. And she'd bring, if there were three of us or seven of us, however many, she'd give us each a little Dixie cup. And we're just sort of looking like, Jesus, you know, uh, this is all we're going to get. We're about to pass out. And, and listen, on top of that, not only did she give us a little cup about this tall, you know what? She, she had this little rubber uh, stopper on top of, and, and this this is going to date some of you if you remember this drink. She had it on an ice-cold tab. Do any of you remember tab? You remember tab? It was like one of the first drinks, diet drinks. And she would take, take the top off of the tab diet. And I, I look back, and I'm, th I'm thinking, you know, now grown up, what in the world was she thinking? We were hot. We were on the verge of dehydration. We got a cup that big, and she didn't even pour Kool-Aid or Coca-Cola. She poured Tab in our cup that big. And I'm like, what's the use? And I'm thinking, before I get it to my lips, it's so hot it's going to evaporate in midair, you know? <laughs> Small doses. Tab in a ditzy cup. Thank you, Grandma. <laughs> Granddaddy was a different story. Granddaddy had a gas station, and at the gas station, he had a Coca-Cola machine. And it'd be hot, and, you know, the, the, the girl cousins, they didn't really work at the gas station. They didn't want to get around all that smelly gas and stuff. But us guys, generally, it'd be one of us, or sometimes it'd be a couple of us helping Granddaddy in the middle of summer. And we'd get so hot out there, we'd sit outside in these old wooden chairs and wait for somebody to come up. And it's back in the days where you actually pumped the gas for people when they pulled up. Wow, that's a really weird thing, isn't it? And did that, and so we'd get real hot. And this is what granddaddy would do. Granddaddy, we're so hot. And granddaddy never one time walked into the office of the gas station and just say, hey, uh, let me give you this little ditzy cup. I'm going to pour you a little tab. You see, granddaddy, because he had the gas station, he also had the keys to the Coca-Cola machine. He'd put that little key in, and he'd turn that knob, twist it, twist it, twist it. It seems like he twisted it 250 times. But eventually, it released, and he'd open up the door, and there would be all these ice-cold drinks lined up in that. A Fanta grape. Anybody ever remember a Fanta grape, a Fanta orange, Coca-Cola? And we'd just look at it, and we'd start salivating, just thinking about it. He'd say, get whatever you want. And we'd just, and you know why I mentioned that? When you're walking through a struggle or a challenge, God doesn't come to you and say, you know what? I'm just going to give you a little ditzy cup of tab. That's all I got for you. God opens up and says here, with the same challenge that you face, God's comfort always outweighs whatever it is you're walking through. You stand with me for a closing prayer. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're one of these that you can totally relate to this talk today because you're walking through a challenge in your own life. 
you're walking through a fear, you're walking through something at home or at work or in your health, you got a situation that you're faced with in your business, you've got a decision that you're going to make or have to make that it's a tough decision, you're like, oh, wow, I don't even know what to do. And you need God's voice, you need God's comfort, you need God's strength, you need God's help. God says, I've got a super abundance of it I want to bring. I know you've got troubles. I know you've got problems, but I'm bringing in comfort, God says. It far outweighs whatever it is you're walking through. And while your head's about and your eyes are closed, if you're here today and you'd say, you know, Jeff, that's me. I'm walking through a challenge. I need God's help and I need God's comfort. Would you just put your hand straight up in the air right now? Put it up, put it up, put it up as high as you can. Yeah. And you can put it right back down. Would you give me the pleasure of praying for you and asking God to help you? God, you're our Father. You're our Father. Our Heavenly Father who cares about us. A lot of us, when we think about our dads, we can have good ideas about that. Other people, when they think about their dad, it's not as good. But when we think about you, our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, the God of all comfort, our source of security, our source of well-being, our source of Everything that we need. In fact, really at the end of the day, God, if all we have is you, that's sufficient enough in and of itself. But we need you. God, I just pray for people right now that just lifted their hands and they're walking through a challenge or they're walking through a problem. They're faced with adversity in some form. God, that they would know that you are there, that you are their heavenly father, that you're the God of all comfort. And you're not going to show up with just a little ditzy cup of comfort. You're going to show up with a super abundance of it. You're going to be there. You're going to help them. And then, God, as you comfort them, that you will position them for the future, that same comfort that they've received, they'll be able to take and comfort others. And we pray that you'll do so. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I love you, everybody. Thank you for being here today. Have an awesome week. I'll see you right back here next Sunday.